are moving into chapters 8 and 9 slowly but surely, steadily. But what I needed to do is to lay a foundation on which to give a little clarity about this. If you're visiting with us today, you should be thoroughly and thrilled that you're coming to hear someone preach about giving and money. Christians just knock down doors to say, I haven't heard that. And I would like for us to listen to what the Lord says. We are moving through it, and it's sort of like an introduction to an introduction uh, to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I will read a couple of these verses and then pray, and then I will review. There's an outline on the back of your bulletins, the morality of money, the love of money, acquiring money, and the use of money. So, um, chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be freed of the bondage of this world and our own desires. And Father, understand that what we have is from you. We are but stewards. Father, I ask that they don't hear me, but they hear you. And that, Father, all of a sudden, the freedom that you have already given, and as I read of the church in Macedonia, urging to give more, Father, would be the hearts of the children of God around this planet. Help us, Father. Help us to understand this. And help us to draw to it. In Christ's name. Amen. We've looked at these first two points. And I've laid a a foundation. I've been working off the morality of money. Because money is not evil. Okay. Now I know a lot of people seem to think it is. The love of money leads to all kinds of disasters. Okay. But money in and of itself is not evil. Where did wealth come from? God created it. Where did your ability to acquire wealth come from? God. All right. The key to finances and wealth is it reveals the character of the individual. Okay. You can have an evil person with no money and so what? You can have an evil person with a lot of money and he spreads his evil. You can have a righteous person with no money. And they're still going to do the work of God. You can have a righteous person with a lot of money. And you'll know it by what they're doing. So when I I look at the morality of money, I'm looking at it in the context that says what a person does with their money speaks volumes. Okay. A lot of the pain and the suffering that you have and people have in the body of Christ is directly linked to their checkbook. 
You can go look at a checkbook register and you can see what an individual's priority is. Which brings me to last week's message is the love of money. Because what happens when you love money? Who don't you love? God. And all of a sudden you will find yourself and it's very subtle. All of a sudden you just shift around the corner and you put your hope in your money. And you don't put your hope in God. You start trusting in your dollars instead of in God we trust. Okay? But something that I want us to think about, and I want you to think about it really hard. What did Jesus say about money? Okay? Because... If you look at what Jesus says, then you figure out where I got my outline from. The morality of money and the love of money. What did Jesus say about the morality of money and the love of money? What did Jesus teach about money? What did Jesus teach about giving? I mean, it's easy for us. We can look at it and say, well, he had to pay his preaching tax. Peter, go down and grab a fish and pull a coin out of its mouth. I can't even catch a fish, let alone with change. Do we understand what the Bible teaches about giving and money? I guarantee you. The majority of the thinking in this congregation right now is crooked on money. Because you are in a society and in a lifestyle that doesn't hear what Jesus has to say. It is easy for you to get comfortable in your money. Your wealth. Now listen, and I'm not talking about the mansion on the hill and 22 bedrooms and three swimming pools and three French hens, two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you get wrapped up. We get wrapped up in what can we have? My mom um, called me. My mom's 80. She called me yesterday and she says, uh, Terry. I said, what? She says, you're not going to believe what I did. And I said, uh, what did you do? Probably not. She says, I bought an iPad. And I said, Mom, you don't even have the Internet. Why did you buy an iPad? Well, I'm going to get Wi-Fi. And then she started this dissertation on she can download these Bibles and she can write on her iPad her notes to her Bible studies. And she says, and then I got I have a wireless printer that I can print off my notes and I'm ready for all of my Bible studies. And she says, do you use a computer? And I says, actually, Mom, I use a fountain pen. And there's this quietness on the other side of the phone. And she says, I didn't think you knew what a fountain pen was. (laughs) I said, but my fountain pen has never, ever, ever run out of batteries. Did you know that Jesus Christ taught more 
than anyone else in the Bible about money? Makes sense. He's God. Did you know that he taught more about money than any other subject? It's fascinating, isn't it? Linsky said this, and I quote, Money is the index to a person's character. Unquote. I think it's a manifestation of the heart. So I want us to take this Lord's Day and see some of the things that Jesus said. I can't cover them all. I mean, if he taught more on that than he did anything, we could be here a while. But I think if we look at a few of the things that he said regarding money, we will have an understanding of the importance of money and how it measures our character, how it is a direct, listen to me, it is a direct barometer of your spiritual condition. And this is actually the foundation for Christian giving. And... I use foundation because, as you've just heard in the announcements, we need to build a house. But we have to get the foundation right to build the house. Now listen, I didn't say this, but Jesus linked money to one spiritual condition. All right? And I will just cursory go through these. And if you don't like what I'm saying, look them up yourself and you'll see it's red letter. Which means I didn't say it. Okay. Any child who's ever been through Sunday school knows this first story. Okay. It's gospel of Luke chapter 19. The little man in the sycamore tree. Zacchaeus. We all know the story. Little Zacchaeus. He's trying to get a view of this man, Messiah, Jesus. He entered Jericho passing through. There's a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus is trying to see Jesus. Who he was. And was unable because of the crowd. And he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. The Lord invited him to Zacchaeus' house. The Lord can do that. Hey, I'm coming over. And he heard he came down and he received him. And of course, what did the people do? They're going to complain. What are you doing over there? He went over there and his presence confronted Zacchaeus of his sin and therefore his spiritual need. They grumbled. He has gone to the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, 
Half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and I have, if I have defrauded anyone else, I will give back four times as much. Confronted of his sin in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Most High God, Zacchaeus believed and he came to faith. He knew he had a spiritual need and he understood it and he turned to repent of his sin. He did it immediately. And how was it seen? Half of his possessions immediately. And if anyone I have defrauded, I will give four times back. That was an immediate response, brothers and sisters. It was instantaneous. And it was linked to what? His confession of faith. He had faith in Christ, his repentance. And it was seen instantaneously. He was rich and he gave half of it away. Okay, did you get that? Did you notice that? How much did he give away? Half. Is that a tithe? No, that's 50%. And anybody that I cheated, I will give them back four times as much. Why? Because I'm saved. Look what happened. Now, listen, if you're one of the disciples and you're hanging out there, what do you expect Jesus to say? Well, Zacchaeus, that's a good idea. Well, that's awful gracious of you. What a nice little man. What did Jesus say? Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Did you get that? Zacchaeus' response was first and foremost immediately done how? Financial. Financial. I remember one time, um, early in my ministry, a guy had been just through the ringer. I mean, just, I mean, had been. It was awful. And I'd, our paths had kept crossing back and forth. And he came and heard me preach a couple of times. And he came to salvation. And all he knew is similar when, when I came to salvation is that he needed to be baptized. So I said, all right, so we'll go do a baptismal. We'll, we'll baptize him next. I think we did it on a Wednesday night, too, and I was baptized on a Wednesday night. Anyway, he showed up at the baptism. And I mean, this guy could almost come walking in, and his feet ain't touching the ground. He just, he's elated. I mean, I, I don't have any other way to describe it. This guy was ecstatic. He had been, um, just been through all of it. And so I baptized him. And... He went back and changed clothes and he came back out and he says, I got to give you something. I said, what's that? And he says, I, I want to give you some money. And the guy was a big shot with the, the phone company. And he says, I want to give you some money. And I said, well, I don't want no money. And he says, no, no, you don't understand. I want to give you some money. He says, it was through your preaching and you baptized me. I want to give you some money. He handed me an envelope with $1,000 in it. And I said, Doug, I can't take that. I said, give it to the church. He says, but you did it. I said, but the church is the one that did it. I just happened to be here. 
And so we finally settled up. He was, you're adamant that I needed a thousand dollars. And there's some days I look back and say, I should have took it. But anyway, <laughs> I could have stretched that. <laughs> but, uh, what Zacchaeus did with his wealth, Jesus didn't say that was a great idea. Jesus said, today, salvation has come. Why? Because you changed. That's an amazing statement. Think about it. The evidence of the transformation when the man's attitude towards his money. It's 180 degrees out. Completely opposite. There was a heart change. He gave money to help the poor, restored four times whatever he had taken to those he may have defrauded. And Jesus, Jesus judged the reality of his confession of faith by his willingness, his cheerfulness, his eagerness to part with his money for the glory of God and the help of others. Okay? So we all know little Zacchaeus in the tree. I want to contrast that. Because just before this episode, in chapter 18, beginning at verse 18, we run into a man called the rich young ruler. The ruler questioned him, verse 18, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Teacher, what should I do to be saved? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these things I have kept from my youth. All right, so we get a picture of this guy. He's very devout. He's very religious. He's a ruler. All right. He's what you and I would call today an urban professional. He's hardworking. Good man. Good man. He knows the laws. And he says, what must I do to be saved? Now, listen, we all stand up in our wonder and awe and say, then believe you are saved by grace through faith. Just believe that what Jesus tells this guy. You ever notice that? The Lord cuts right through this thing. Jesus heard this. He said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess, distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Whoa. Well, I thought it was through grace and faith. What do you mean I got to sell everything I know? Well, the part that the kid missed is that, yes, you kept all of the Ten Commandments. Every one of them. So you are going to be saved from what? You have never sinned? Sell all your possessions and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. 
Verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. He went away sad. He turned away from eternal life so he could hang on to his money. Because we all know that the church and Christians aren't good stewards of it. Right? We use that excuse. Church don't know what they're doing. See, in Zacchaeus, money was evidence of salvation, the transformation and repentance. The rich young ruler, his money was evidence of the hard heart. Right after that, in verses 24 and 25, Jesus shocked his disciples. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get into heaven. Why? Rich, hold on. They trust in their riches. You and I, I mean, I don't know anybody in here is filthy rich. And if you are, what's up? <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> you don't like me? What? <laughs> no. no. Uh, and yet, we, I guarantee you, most of us, our biggest struggle is what? Money. And we try to hold on to it. And we try to spend it. And we tell ourselves, I'm a good steward. Really? Really? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Jesus is cutting through all of the stuff because you and I take our hope and our faith and we place it on our wealth. My house, my car, my 401k, uh, stock options, whatever it is I got. I got all these things. My paid time off, my paid vacations. I've got this, I've got that. You know, my retirement is coming, Social Security. But anyway, do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? That's why you're putting your hope. I put mine in heaven. I will retire when they throw my carcass in a hole. And if you have retired, then you should be working twice as hard for the kingdom of God. Because you got free time. Wealth can be a barrier to spiritual birth, and it is definitely can be a barrier to spiritual growth. Money can be a God. Zacchaeus was rich. And he got rid of it. Why? What's more important to Zacchaeus? Follow me. Rich young ruler. Walked away sad. Why? Money's more important. Now listen, I want to share this with you because um, this isn't the first time that we get this crossed before us dealing with money. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. We went in there, one of my favorite people, beginning in verse 3. John the Baptist. And he came into the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sin. 
He's what I call preaching politically incorrect. I'm preaching repentance. Drop down there. They large groups of people were coming out. This man had taken a Nazarite vow, walked around in a camel hair jacket, clothes. And if you've ever been around a real camel, ugh. okay, and he's eating bugs and honey. He's taking his seriously. Verse eight says, therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we are Abraham's, our father. For I say to you that these stones, from these stones, God is able to raise up children of Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, he's clearing the way for Messiah. And there has to be a beginning of repentance to see that. So here's what the crowd says. And the crowds are questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? If I'm to bring forth fruit of repentance, what does that fruit look like? Thought you'd never ask. And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. So the general population, what does it mean? It ain't yours. Okay, again, does that look like the tithe to you? I'm thinking he's hanging out at 50%. Then what he says, some tax collectors were also to be baptized. And he says, teacher, what shall we do? He says to them, collect no more than you are have been ordered to collect. Some soldiers were questioning him saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. How do I show my repentance? Bring forth fruit. Share your clothes, with your food with the poor. That shows your heart. Hey, tax collectors. Take no more than what is due you. And soldiers, you run around with weapons. It's easy for you to extort. Don't. Why? Be content. You know, the soldiers used to get paid. Have you ever heard uh, worth his weight in salt? That's how they got paid. They got blocks of salt. Think about it. There's no refrigeration. How do you keep your food? You salt it. So that's how the Roman soldiers got paid. Worth their weight in salt. The population, clothes and food, tax, no extra. Soldiers be content. That is a definition of the fruit of repentance. How you view and how you handle money. The book of Acts. One of my other favorite texts. Chapter 19. It's, it's a, or yeah, chapter 19. Uh, what had happened was, God was performing extraordinary, in verse 11, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from the body, from his body to the sick and the disease left them and the evil spirits went out. But some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. The seven sons of one Sicca, the 
Jewish chief priest were doing this. And the evil spirits answered <laughs> and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued them, overpowered them, and they fled out of the house naked and wounded. <laughs> That's just one of the funniest things I've ever read in my life. <laughs> it's just, you know, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. I don't even know who Jesus is. And the demon just kicked their butts. I think that's hilarious. Okay, this became known to all, verse 17, Jew and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very cultic area. Many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. They were practicing what you and I would classify as black magic. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. The little translation is 50,000 days wages. Their cultic books, they did not want to fall into other people's hands, were very much of great value and they cast them into the fire. That's transformation, people. Acts 2 and 4, the early church, you see that transformation by those who are willing to sell the property to meet the needs of the saints. I know a guy one time had a nice 16-foot fishing boat, flat-bottom fishing boat, live wells, 115 Evinrude engine on it, split window and all the rest of it, and he sold it to help the orphanages in Russia. What we do with money has a lot to do with showing our spiritual condition. Saints in the early church were willing to liquidate assets and give cheerfully what they got for their assets and spend it on those who were in need. And yet, if you look at us today, most of us spend most of our time trying to gather assets. I learned a long time ago that uh, anytime I get money in my savings, something's about to break. <laughs> Saints in the early church were willing. It's a text that I read you out of 2 Corinthians 8. But there is more. Luke 12. Beginning in verse 15. This would be red letter. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. Okay, beware, he says, if Jesus tells us to beware, I'm thinking we should pay attention. And then he gives you an illustration. He told a parable saying, a land of a rich man was very productive. Okay, if the land is very productive, whose fault is it? God's. All right. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? 
And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. Now listen, right there, there's nothing wrong. Okay, I showed you last week, First Timothy. All right, you have wealth, don't be conceited about it. All right, understand, be thankful about it. And you know what, enjoy what God has given you. There's nothing wrong with that. Please understand these things. Okay, I just want you to know these things. I pray for all of you that your business flourish and you're successful and it grows and you're productive. There's nothing wrong with that happening. Here is the problem, though. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? The folly is not in doing business. The problem here is that the man is a fool because he hadn't prepared for the life to come. A lot of effort in our lives nowadays... But we'd put very little effort in what is to come. Tell me I'm wrong. You think about the average day that you have. How much are you worried about and taking care and struggling and striving for this moment? How much are you struggling and striving for eternity? Jesus is real clear about this. Verse 21, in case you were trying to figure out what he's trying to articulate. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. Okay, no spiritual riches. Build your business. Be successful in business. There's nothing wrong with that. Grow your companies. Nothing wrong with that. But you had better be just as rich towards God. Okay. Luke 21. Thought I was kidding when I said Jesus taught about this a lot. Tried to tell you. Jesus is in the temple. Luke 21, beginning in verse 1. He looked up and he saw rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. We call them the widow's mites. Okay. The copper coin is like a half a penny. So she's got two of them. So she's putting a penny into the treasury. And he said, truly I say to you. The word truly there is the word that you and I know. Amen. Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For now read this verse carefully. 
For they, out of their surplus, put into the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all. And she had to live on. Ask yourself a question. When you give to the Lord, are you giving out of your surplus? Or are you giving out of your poverty? It's an interesting question, isn't it? You know what is amazing about this text that Luke leaves out, but Mark picks up? It's the same story in Mark twelve forty one. It's the same thing. The woman is giving all that she had. Now, listen, I can sit and argue with you. That's the temple. That's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What are they going to do with it? They're not God's people. Fair argument. But look what Jesus said. Verse 41, chapter 12 of Mark. He sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums of money. The poor widow came and put into the two small copper coins uh, about a cent. Calling to his disciples, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she put in out of her poverty. Put in all she owned, all that she had to live on. Okay, what's different about that? The the disciples are going to look at it and say, Crazy woman! You ain't got no money left. Jesus still called the temple what? God's house of prayer. That's why I got cranky about the money changers and gave out of her poverty. She put it all in there. You know what I call that? Generosity, commitment, sacrifice. In your bulletins, we write it out. It's time to worship in giving. You ever thought about that? What I give is worship. Jesus calls the rich man a fool. Better to have everything in heaven and nothing here. Vice versa. Now, the thing that I wanted you to see in Mark's gospel is God has given us two eyes. He has given us two ears and he has given us one mouth. What do we do the most of? Charles Spurgeon called it verbiage. (laughs) You know what is amazing about this? That verse right there, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. You know what that means? He was watching. He was paying attention to who and what people were giving. Guess what? Still does. Still does. And I've heard it before. But what I do with my money is my business. Listen, I love you all. No, it's not. 
It's Christ's business. It's Jesus' business. And He has every right to know what you and I give. Because that's how we revealed our spiritual character is our giving according to Scripture. Listen, I don't know how close he was to the offering. Okay, but he could see the rich man give large sum of money. He could see the widow give everything she had. And you know what? He's still watching and he still sees exactly what you and I are doing. And he, it is his business. Jesus wounds us and heals us by his words about money. So I will summarize. Some more red letter. Okay, out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, 19 and following. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for showing this to me. Father, I pray. You burn it to my soul. Father, I understand. The love of money is all kinds of destruction to it. Father, I pray that we who are children of the King, Father, we who are called by your name, Father, understand where our treasure is is where our heart is. Father, bring our hearts to you fully and wholly to your glory and praise. Amen.